This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. A church that is living in the truth, loving their neighbor as himself, loving God, sacrificially being generous, they will find favor in their community. People will go, oh yeah, Grace, Grace Church, this church, that church, yeah. Man, they're out there serving. They're out there doing. They're out there, they're not being hypocrites, right? They're, they're building favor with the people. And the dichotomy though is at the same time, a church that is living in the truth and walking in the light and standing up for righteousness is going to be hated by that same community. Chances are you're more than familiar with the expression double-edged sword when it comes to pros and cons. When it comes to Christianity and witnessing, we're promised approval on one hand, while disapproval is just as guaranteed on the other. In today's message, Pastor Josh reflects on the dichotomy of being both a blessing and a curse to the community as believers. In his study, you'll learn how your positive impact on a person can just as easily be considered a nuisance by the next. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Acts chapter five, as he continues his message, Vision Sunday. service a sweet sweet lady she made the comment oh I just love what God's doing here uh, it's just so much I don't know if I can keep up yeah I understand I don't I'm not trying to make you tired but <laughs> I, I do want to say that everyone is called to their own specific purposes and callings when I speak of these things I'm not trying to put a guilt trip everyone needs to do everything but I am excited about this idea of prayer because a church that acts without praying it's very dangerous. Prayer is not the only thing we should do, but if we don't pray, we shouldn't be doing much else. Prayer is where it starts. I encourage you to come to Second Sundays. In fact, I be I'm believing God that in the years to come at Grace, not only will we have Second Sundays, but we'll have First Mondays and Third Tuesdays, and we will have people praying in and for this church and community 24 hours a day, seven days a week at every Sunday morning service. And I think we're gonna be heading in that direction. And so here we have a very uncomplicated formula from the first church of what we should seek to build on. Keep our lives rooted in God's word, continue to invest in fellowship and relationships with other believers, express and receive hospitality and invite people into your home and your life and commit yourself both publicly and privately to prayer and to worship of God. And that is the secure foundation of the church. Notice next, though, in verse 44, that this foundation led to a sacrificial generosity from the church. Verse 44 says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. And so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Apparently there were people in the church, we learned from Acts chapter five, who were landowners that were selling their property and giving it to the church to meet the needs of those poor and those struggling within that new founded church. And you read this and it says they were selling what they had and they were distributing, is this some sort of like, 
weird communism or socialism. No, no, no. Make sure you know the difference. Socialism and communism are forced from the head up. Christian generosity is motivated from the heart out. It is personal, it is convictional, it is done out of love, and it is exactly what we need to be marked by. That we would think of the needs of others even above our own needs. That we'd be willing to sacrifice things that we love or that we want to meet the needs of what someone else needs or wants or has a a need for. And it was apparent to the first church that they actually believed that practically expressing the love of Christ to other people in need is essential. The attitude wasn't, what can I get out of Jesus? Or what can the church do for me? It was, no, I'm part of this body of Christ that needs to be giving of myself, my times, my time, my treasure, my talent, so that the needs of others, both within and without, would be met. And I do believe when it said they gave to anyone who had need, that not only was it in the church, but it was also outside of the church. For Galatians chapter 6 tells me, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially those who are of the household of faith. There is a priority for generosity within the church to the church. There is also a call for generosity from the church outside of the church, being a blessing to our community. And this is one thing I love about Hands of Grace, is it's a way that we can practically, sacrificially partner with kingdom-minded and gospel-centered works in our community. And it's a way that we can follow 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, that tells us, my little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. We're going to be actively pursuing ways. How do we become more sacrificial? How do we be marked by generosity that meets the needs of others? Well, number three, that led to the next step on the ladder, which was they begin to have a solid reputation within their community. Verse 47 says, they were praising God and having favor with all the people. You might want to mark that in your Bibles, having favor with all the people. Now here is, I want you guys to tune in. If I'm losing you, tune in for a second. The early church was not full of people who made trouble for the sake of making trouble. You know what kind of people we're talking about? These are the kind of Christians that go down to the bottom of the boat, rock the boat, and then run up and say, there's a storm, a self-created storm. That's not the kind of people we want to be. Walter Martin put it like this, controversy for the sake of controversy is sin, but controversy for the sake of truth is a divine command. What am I getting at here? I'm getting at this. The church will always experience a dichotomy with its reputation. Dichotomy meaning two, two realities in tension with each other. A church that is living in the truth, loving their neighbor as himself, loving God, sacrificially being generous, they will find favor in their community. People will go, oh yeah, Grace, Grace Church, this church, that church, yeah. Man, they're out there serving. They're out there doing. They're out there, they're not being hypocrites, right? They're, they're building favor with the people. And the dichotomy, though, is at the same time, a church that is living in the truth and walking in the light and standing up for righteousness is going to be hated by that same community. So how does that work? It happened to the first church. Here we read that they had favor with all. Next thing you know, Peter and John are in in jail for preaching in the name of Jesus. 
saying, we should not obey you. We should obey God rather than man. Jesus said, beware if all men speak good of you. Jesus said to the church, you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Josh, what are you getting at? Please get around to it. What I'm getting at is this. The church today has seemed to adopt this mentality that it is our goal to be liked by the world. Like that's what it means to be a good witness, that everyone likes us, no one disagrees with us, all the things we say and preach and talk about kind of make everyone feel okay, and that's how we're a good witness, by just staying out of the, out of the, the weeds. No, that's not how you're a good witness, that's how you misrepresent Jesus. How you're a good witness is doing the things you should do to build the reputation of Jesus, or as Paul put it like this, to some we will be a fragrance of life leading to life, and to others we will be a fragrance of death leading to death. A light not only illuminates its surrounding, it exposes what's in the darkness. And when we shine like light or we savor like salt, it should, be, it should both build a reputation of favor within our community and build opposition because the darkness is coming against us. The reason I bring that up is because I think that it's going to become more and more difficult as we move forward. There will be more and more opposition, should I say, to biblical truth. And, and I, I just, I wanna prepare, prepare us that just because we teach about something or say something that matters to God and people don't like us for it, it's okay. What's not okay is that they don't like us because we were a jerk. What's not okay is they don't like us because we preach one thing or practice another. Like, that's not okay. But it's okay if they don't like us because the truth and the light of Jesus is shining into their darkness and into their lives and they don't like it. That's okay. And this is why we do our Christians in culture. This is one of the things that's dear to my heart. There are too many cultural issues that need our biblical perspective on it. And so please pray as we continue to put things together to do these events. They've been great so far and we're gonna to continue to speak to the issues of our culture. Well, finally, the solid foundation which led to sacrificial generosity, which led to a solid reputation, brings forth a salvation opportunity. Verse 47 at the end says, and the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. I almost can't read that verse without getting emotional about it. Why? Because it tells me something about what God wants to do. He wants to add daily to the church people being saved. And that forces a question, and for me, if people are not being added daily to the church being saved, I doubt it's a problem with God. Think of it like this for a moment. Imagine, any parents in the room? Parents? Okay, imagine you are hiring some help for your young kids. You're gonna, you wanna find a nanny to come supplement some projects. Watch your kids on date nights and such. And so a lady comes in to interview and she's wearing the shirt, the world's best nanny. And you have some positive thoughts. You're thinking, okay, this, you're hopeful. This might be it. And she hands you her resume and you begin to read. Never had any children, but how hard can it really be? No criminal record, oh, except for the three counts of child endangerment. Was fired from three nanny jobs, but only because parents had unrealistic expectations about the well-being of their kids. I can drive your kids anywhere, 
If you overlooked a suspended license due to last week's DUI, any takers? Josh, what does that have to do with it? I mean, I think God has some standards too. I think God wants to add daily to the church those who are being saved, but the question I have to ask myself is, does my church have the environment that makes God feel safe sending his kids to? I long for the answer to be yes. And I want it to start with me and us. When I think of God adding to the church those who are being saved, I think of it in a few different areas. Number one, I want you guys to know that it is a personal commitment to me to preach the gospel and invite people to know Jesus on a weekly basis. The reason I do that is not for the 99.9% of Christians who know the gospel, have received the gospel, and know Jesus. It's for the person that said, if I bring my unsaved grandma or husband or neighbor or friend to church, I'll know that they have an opportunity to hear the good news of Jesus and accept Christ. And I want, I want to do that every week. But I've been challenged that we need to, that not only do we need to invite people to know Jesus, but we need to invite them to be discipled. Not only that, but in the days to come, it is on my heart to increase how we evangelize people as a church. Some people here, and no, no shame to you, some people here, though, have never even, never really learned how to present the gospel. That's, that's on us. We need to teach you how to present the gospel. We need to take you out and give you the experience of going to the mall or going door to door or going somewhere and, and, and experiencing the power of someone hearing the gospel and receiving Christ. It'll change your life forever. More, more important, it will change theirs. And then, of course, when it comes to be the people adding to the church, it's not just God adding to the church locally. It's what we do with our missions abroad. Listen, when I came to this church, my mind was blown at the faithfulness of this congregation to supporting the work of the Lord in the world. I've never seen anything like it. I came, and we're having a missions conference. What's a missions conference? Oh, it's a, it's a thing that we do, okay? I come, all these people are gathering, we're, we're learning about missionaries, we're listening. $270,000 of pledges later, I'm sitting here going, I just don't, I, my mind is blown. How committed these people are, on, uh, above and beyond, to what God's doing in this world. I'm, I'm blown away. To, 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 our, to your credit, to the credit of your leaders, former pastors of this church, it is unique within the church to see such generosity and support for missions. And we are going to continue to increase in that. Right now, there's an orphanage being built in Africa. There are Bibles being distributed all over the world. There are homes and poverty being met in South, met in South America. I mean, the list goes on and on. So what we've decided to do is every first Sunday of the month, we are going to highlight a missionary that we support. We're going to talk about what they do, what they're doing, talk about how we support them, and commit as a church to pray for them for that whole month leading up to our missions conference so that we have a visibility of people that are doing real work that you, you and I are a part of, rather than it just being a, a name on a check or, or a number or a check off the, off the list. And then finally, how do we reach people of our community? I was recently convicted by the Holy Spirit to explore St. Joseph. I, I went to, actually started at a city council meeting. I went to a city council meeting and they were talking about how they're going to redistrict St. Joe, you know, and all these different districts. And I don't have anything to say about that. But I know what came to my mind is like, oh, there's districts. 
I wonder, I wonder how they're uh, made up. I wonder the dynamics. And so I decided I'm just going to drive through St. Joe, you know. Up to this point, I, I've been down the Belt Highway. I know where I live, and I know where the church is at. So I'm doing pretty good. I mean, so, um, so I'm, I'm going, I'm going. I'm just driving. I'll go through, I'll go here. I'll turn left here. I didn't know where I was going. I just was driving. And boy, I saw some communities that I, I mean, made my jaw drop. I'm like, wow, this is, this is stunning. I never, never would have guessed this was here. And then I, I saw other communities that made my heart drop. I didn't know people lived in such poor conditions and that there was so much brokenness and despair in some of these areas of our community. And I came out with what I believe was a vision from the Lord. It is a big vision. It is a multi-year vision. It is not an overnight vision, but I'm gonna share it with you guys because I know that you'll pray with me. I believe that God wants us to plant what I'm going to call core campuses in every single area of St. Joseph. Well, Josh, can't they just come to church here? Here's the thing. Many of them won't come to church here because of their socioeconomic status, because of their distance, because of their race, and those are barriers that we need to get out and break down for them. And I want to raise up and train pastoral leaders who will go into and, and create Core campuses, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about size, I'm talking about building disciples in that neighborhood and in that neighborhood on the north side and in the south side and the east side and the west side where people will actively be following Jesus in their community, in every area, and being shepherded and pastored and discipled through these core campuses. Maybe in houses, maybe in shopping centers, maybe in industrial buildings, it doesn't matter. We will, we will fund it, we will invest in it, we will build it up, and we will see people I believe, come to Jesus in all these areas. And so we start here with all these foundational truths. And as we commit ourselves to them, I believe that we will see a long-term health and growth of this body that will take us into the next generation and into the next season, having really accomplished something of eternal worth. Now, I want to really quickly make a note here about the church some of you have noticed uh, on our Facebook page or on our website that there's been a slight name addition to our church. And I want to talk about that briefly. I want to start off by saying that I love the church. And when I say that, I don't mean just you, this church. I mean I love the church. Big C, capital C, church. Everyone out there who is committed to Christ, committed to the gospel, and following Jesus as a disciple, I love it. I see the church as a multi-lane highway. We're all in somewhat different lanes. Some of us are driving different vehicles and some of us are going at different speeds. But as long as no one turns around and goes the other way or cuts someone else off, we're all gonna be okay. And some of that goes on as well, unfortunately. But I will say that I am grateful as a pastor to have a lane that God put me in. And for me, that lane is under the fellowship of churches known as Calvary Chapel. Many of you might not even know that Grace has been affiliated with Calvary Chapel, the Calvary Chapel movement of churches for a number of years now, just never, never in our name, just always kind of in our philosophy of ministry and in our practice. And Calvary Chapel, I'll tell you for me as a pastor in my development, I grew up in the Free Methodist Church. It was great. Uh, my dad was a pastor. I grew up in, in, in several different, I went to a Baptist church for a while. Great fellowships, lovely people. 
But it wasn't until I went to Calvary Chapel that I actually heard someone teach verse by verse through Acts chapter two about what the, what, what the church should look like. The things I taught you today, I never even heard that before. I went to Calvary Chapel. And there is a, there is a guy, Chuck Smith, teaching me, opening the book of Acts, saying this is the kind of church we should be in. I can't do a Chuck Smith impersonation. That's really bad. But Chuck Smith founded Calvary Chapel in the, the mid to late 60s where a bunch of hippies came just as they were to, and, and God poured out his spirit in a powerful way. That's one of the reasons I love the name Grace because Calvary Chapel has always been a grace place. Come as you are, let the Lord change you. You don't need to meet any of our standards, any of our, you don't have to be baptized into our church, you don't have to wear certain clothes, you don't have to, you, you just come as God come and, and you be transformed by the renewing of your mind and the word of God into who Jesus wants you to be. But Calvary Chapel awakened me to the balance and the philosophy of ministry as modeled in the scripture. Not that it's a perfect model by any stretch of the imagination, but it is a good philosophical model, one that I'm grateful for in my life. And the reason why I want to add, I wanted to add Calvary Chapel into our name, Grace Calvary Chapel, not only to embrace what we've already embraced a number of years ago, but to say, I recently came back from California with the conviction, Josh, the Midwest needs what Calvary Chapel has to offer, and I want grace to be a picture, a model for what a healthy Calvary Chapel is. Not that there aren't other healthy Calvary Chapels here, there are, but we are part of that movement. And I want to I embrace that, and I want to be a model and move forward by faith into what God has for us within that movement of churches. And so we're grateful for uh, what Calvary Chapel has been, the contribution to the kingdom it's made throughout the years, and we're excited. I'm excited to be part of what the future of Calvary Chapel will look like as well. And so that, that is an ancient vision that is still relevant for us to platform off of today, to seek God for the powerful move of his spirit in these times. I praise God for the past, but I'll tell you what, I am so excited about the future. There is no more exciting time than to be a Christian than right now. I want to close with simply saying this. It's not something I like to say, but it is something I believe that has to be said. The vision that I shared with you today, I don't expect that to resonate with every person in this room. You might leave today saying, ah, you know, I just, I don't know if I'm supportive of that direction. I'm not sure that that really lines up with my calling or, or what I feel like I want to be part of in a church. And I just want to say that that is okay. The body of Christ has many expressions in this community and they all have their strengths and they all have their weaknesses. They all have their different veins of, of ministry, some more community-oriented than others, some more teaching-oriented, and it's, and it's okay for you to leave today saying, you know what, I, I'm just not sure I, I wanna make grace my home or, or I, I wanna follow this vision, I think I need to go somewhere else. I don't want you to, but if that's your heart, that's okay. I don't want you to feel obligated to feel like you're being pressured into some sort of change or something that you don't want to be in. Having said that, if today you are standing and saying, you know what, I am excited about what God's doing at Grace and, and I don't wanna be a spectator, I wanna be, I wanna activate my part as a body of Christ. And I wanna come with one mind and one heart in unity with this body to see God move and expand and grow and make this a healthy place where people can come and find the hope of Christ. Thanks for joining us today here on The Ascending Life. 
Pastor Josh Blevins had a great message to share today, and we trust that what you've heard has been an encouragement to you. If what you heard today has left you with some questions, we'd like to ask you to reach out. You can get in touch with us by calling us at 816-279-2090. If you need to hear that number again, it's 816-279-2090. You can also email us at mail at graceontheweb.org. Some of what you heard might be completely new to you. If that's the case and you're still trying to figure out what you believe about Jesus, feel free to go to theascendinglife.com and click on the Know Jesus tab. There you'll be pointed in the right direction to understand more about who Jesus is and how much He loves you. Here at Grace Calvary, our mission is to awaken people to the love, truth, and power of God. Do you want to hear more messages from Pastor Josh? Head over to theascendinglife.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast too. Again, that's theascendinglife.com. We appreciate you listening to this edition of The Ascending Life as we strive to put Jesus first. That's all the time we have for today, but we can't wait to get back into another enlightening teaching from Pastor Josh. Will you make plans to join us again? We hope so. There's so much more to learn and appreciate about God, so be sure to tune in next time on The Ascending Life. Reaching up, we're pressing